0: Sky community, welcome to another episode of Sky Women's Health Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. We have a special guest and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Oh, hi, Dr. Moyers. It's so nice to be with you today. And I am Dr. Celeste Holbrook. I'm a sexologist. It's so lovely to be here. I can't wait to talk about sex. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you because I know that women are having bad sex. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time. I know it is true. And I think that most women don't have a place to talk about sex. And I feel like when they bring it up to if they bring it up to their OB gen, it's like opening Pandora's box and there's this sense of feeling hurried and or the OB gen not having the time or skills set to help them through because it is a multi-layered issue when it comes to women. So I'm so glad you're here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. My mission is to provide safe spaces to talk about sex and there aren't enough. And not only are there not enough, we are kind of conditioned to think that we should already know how to talk about sex or that if sex isn't good, something's wrong with us. Right. And so it's kind of a double edged sword we we don't have safe spaces to talk about sex and we also think that we shouldn't be or that it's not okay to so it's tough it's tough
0: and don't you think that most women think that it's their fault yeah yeah i yeah. think so
1: i think <laughs> so so everybody listening if you're having sex that is not up to what you would like to be having it's not your fault and it can get better so Right,
0: right. <laughs> so talk us through kind of the multi layers of desire for women, sexual desire.
1: Yeah, let's jump right in. So this is the number one reason people come to see me is I don't feel like having sex. I have low libido or low arousal or, or whatever. So let's start talking. Let's start this conversation Using language that makes sense. So, first of all, let's talk about the difference between desire and arousal, right? So, in the sexual response cycle defined by Masters and Johnson and later Kinsey, we have five phases. And the first two are desire and then arousal. So, desire is I feel like I would like to engage in some sort of sexual behavior. That is desire. I like my partner. I would like to be having sex with my partner. Desire. Arousal is my physical body and my brain are ready for sexual behavior and would are currently maybe even engaged in sexual behavior. So a lot of people out there say, I just have low libido when really they mean I have low arousal, meaning I want to want to have sex with my partner, but my body and brain never get there. They never arouse for sex. So there's just a difference in problems when there's a desire problem, like a desire problem would be like, I don't even want to be in the same room as my partner, right? That's right. a desire problem. And that but could be a relationship issue, right? That's a relationship <laughs> issue, right? That's not necessarily a sex issue. Right. Whereas, man, I wish I wanted to have sex is not a desire problem. I want you, you're telling me you want to have sex, but you don't feel like you want to have sex in your body and brain. Physically, right. Yeah. Right. So two different things. I think that's the first thing to define. The second thing to define is that there are two different types of arousal. So there's spontaneous arousal, which is, I feel like having sex. So I go seek out somebody to have sex with or or a sexual experience, right? That's how we see, what's what we see in movies, what we see in porn. That is a typical traditional way we think about sex. I want to have sex. So I go seek out sexual behavior, but there's another type of arousal called responsive arousal, which is once sexual behavior starts, then my arousal starts to show up, which is just as okay and, and should be just as valued as spontaneous arousal. But we never see this other type of arousal in media or nobody ever talks about this other type of arousal. And so we think something's wrong with us when we may never out of the blue feel like having sex. But once we get into a sexual scenario, like, oh, yeah, this is good. I want to keep doing this. This feels nice, right? And so for all of us responsive arousal people out there, do know that nothing's wrong with you. You just have a different type of arousal system. And that's totally okay. Just nobody's talking about it or you don't see it on TV. So desire and arousal, two different things. And then within arousal, two different types of arousal.
0: Yeah. I like that. One's like you're throwing the party and the other one's like, well, you're going cause your friend's going, but I had a good time. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Both are fine. <laughs> oh, they're fine. I, I think that this is the biggest thing. Like women feel like that they're the problem or they need to fix themselves or they're going for, you know, pellets or testosterone and just thinking it's going to solve the issue. When it's so multifaceted, like you're talking about sexual response, but we're not, we haven't even got into relationship, body image, all of the things that women are shaming their bodies. And then, of course, they don't feel sexy and desirable. And it's, yeah, it's, it <laughs> it's, goes really deep.
1: <laughs> it's big. It really is a big mushroom cloud. And so, some of the things that might feel helpful as a reframe is to think about the first thing is, we know, this is research research that we have already conducted. We know that the biggest killer of arousal is responsibility. Responsibility yeah. is the biggest killer of arousal. We also know that women and femmes take the brunt of responsibility in the household. So even as progressive as we think we are, we are still taking the cognitive load, the emotional load, we are the ones who know when the toilet paper is out. Even if we might not be the one who goes to get the toilet paper, we're the one who checks the cabinet and makes the plan to go. Mm-hmm. So we carry such a large, unfair amount of responsibilities in our household that that directly correlates to our ability to hold creative enough space to get aroused. And I feel very passionate about yes. this. Yes,
0: so, me um, too. Because moms, moms are busy, Spouse gets home from work in the evening, whether they've worked in a now doing homework and kids and dinner and all of the things or whatever, you know, they're saving sex for bedtime and they're exhausted. They're touched out. They're not, you know, like it's hard to be aroused when you're totally exhausted and you still have 15 things on your list to be done and your husband's just present. He's just ready.
1: Uh Yes, yes, totally. That's absolutely true. And the shift in responsibility is difficult. And so that's why a lot of times we just kind of stay in these same lanes of like, well, it's just easier if I do it, right? Mm -hmm. When in reality, it would eventually on the other side be better if somebody else did it or your partner or somebody else, but that getting there is difficult. And I'd also like to say that sex is a skill we are, a lot of people say, I want sex to feel organic and natural. And even though sex is a biological thing we're built to do, pleasure is a biological thing we are built to experience. Sex itself is still a skill, just like we're built to eat. But we have still have to learn how to cook. So it is a skill set that we learn and we relearn as we age and we go through different life cycles. And so if sex feels difficult, that's because it's a skill that you have to continue to keep learning. And that's okay. It's totally okay. But replacing the idea that sex should just be natural or that if it's not, if it doesn't feel spontaneous or natural, something's wrong with me with the idea that, like, oh, we together as a team can work to help make sex feel pleasurable for both of us.
0: Right, and as our bodies change over the years, right? You know, when if we meet young and we're partnered young, and then we have kids and then the responsibility load increases. And then we are, we're nursing and we've got vaginal dryness. And then we go into peri and post-menopause. Like there's so many changes that are happening with our body. We have to be willing to progress and not expect that sex is always going to be the same, that we have to ha- be having these conversations. So what I'm hearing you say in regards to like that mismatch in the load of of running a household, right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And in just the pleasure of sex, I think that it really comes down to communicating. So how about we talk about some skills for women to really communicate more effectively with their partners about the shared responsibilities about this feels good about, you know, how I want to be
1: loved. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Such a, such a big topic. The first thing I'll say is there's this wonderful book by Eve Rodsky called Fair Play. And it is about how to have those conversations about equaling things out. And it doesn't mean that responsibilities in your house are equal, like you do exactly 50% and I do exactly 50%, but it does make them fair, which is a different concept equitable. Right. And so I cannot recommend this book enough. It also comes with a card deck. If you want to order the card deck. And basically there's all these cards of like, who does birthday parties this week? Who does p- car pickup this week? And, and you basically do the, the of cards- labor you divide the labor every week. And then within that, once you're doing that really well, you have space for that unicorn stuff, that crochet, that you time, that stuff you do because you just like it. And it's not for anybody else, but you and self-care, which is a whole different category, you know, so you have time for that. And once you can reallocate the responsibilities and have more time for yourself and more self-care, all of a sudden this space that is erotic and creative mm-hmm. starts to show up for you a little bit better and so it's a whole you know it's kind of a, a renegotiation from the top down but it's so important for you to have a great relationship a fulfilling sex life and purpose in your life over the course of time can't recommend that book enough I love it love, love it
0: fair play okay mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Yes. Another great resource for women is Rosie, the app Rosie R O S Y, and you're familiar with it.
1: Yes, I yes. love it. Lisa yeah. Harper, I think, is the is the owner, and she's just amazing. I met her one time at a at a sex conference.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, it is such a great resource. Yeah, for women have a space, an app, and great small tidbits, all about you know expert educational videos for sex. And I just can't recommend that enough. I tell all of my patients about Rosie. So R-O-S-Y, it's a fabulous app for women's sexual health.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Okay, let's talk a little bit about purity culture because I know that that's something you address quite a bit.
1: Yes. So for if you're not familiar, purity culture is a term we use to describe kind of specifically some decades in which a lot of people who grew up in conservative Christian households were kind of given this message that you would be less than, or you would be, you would go to hell, or you would be a sinner if you had sex before you were married. And that message alone wasn't like the only thing that was problematic. It was more like, You should. The message is like you should police what you wear. You should make sure that you're not being a stumbling block for your brothers. Really controlling women's bodies, especially, and denying their ability to explore sexually, which was really the worst part of it. Is that it was you know kind of manipulation. Like right, if you if I tell you there's this cool water in this cup for you to drink, but if you drink it, I'm going to slap you in the face. Like do you really have choice to drink that water, right? It is a kind of a manipulative tactic to- It's a shame technique. For sure. It's a shame technique. It's manipulation. So on the other side of that, so I grew up in this culture. I grew up in a conservative household. I waited until I was married to have penetrative sex, although I did do a lot of exploration, which I'm really thankful for. And after I got married and had penetrative sex for the first time, it was incredibly painful. And I thought- I waited 26 years for this for this? It's terrible. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And it like, ended up writing being to mom, dear mom. <laughs> Why did I wait for this? I'm having like an existential <laughs> crisis. Like I waited for this. Like yeah. I believe like I was guaranteed good sex. Like I was a good girl i do the things i wait and this is my reward right i was but, yeah but
0: in the priority culture don't you think that we're taught so much to refraining it's bad and you know the shame if you think about it if you do anything but then you flip it's supposed to flip a switch when you get married
1: yeah yeah it's a, it's now your ridiculous. sexuality is good <laughs> it's no problem, right? Yeah. And our our bodies don't just, our bodies don't work that way. And so when you're told forever and ever that something is dangerous, your body believes you. And so when you do have penetrative sex, your body feels like, yeah, this is something I was told was dangerous for a long time. I'm going to shut any Non-essential systems down, like arousal, so that you don't engage in this thing that I that I was told forever and ever was dangerous, which was what happened to me. My body was like, hell no, there's no way we're gonna let this happen. When we were told we were gonna go to hell for it for the first 26 years of our lives, and so my arousal shut down. You know, I I didn't know anything. I didn't have great sex education, so I didn't know I could use a lubricant. I mean, I was really naive at 26, and so. I'm thankful for it now in ways because it led me to my job and my career that I love, but really what I needed was somebody to hold my hand and be like, listen, you need to know a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) And it's okay that you feel ashamed. It's okay that you feel resentment. Like we hear that maybe it's not okay, but like we understand why you're feeling those things. And so I basically became the provider I needed at the
0: time. (laughs) Isn't that usually what happens?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Totally.
0: The crew of Bridgerton, like the the characters of Bridgerton, did you watch it? I <laughs> like did. I hope I, we could do a whole episode just on our thoughts about the sexuality. The Can Bridgerton. we please do that because
1: that would be like your best episode ever. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, definitely, let's do it. We'll schedule it. I mean, she's completely hilarious. I was just thinking, like, they needed you to, like, walk them through. So <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I have notes. I'm like, okay, in
1: episode seven, when they're having sex on the stairs, like, who's going to put a towel down because that's going to break your spine? <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. Like, there's so, so many. And just the lack of knowledge. Like, yep. she didn't realize that he was pulling out. Pulling out. <laughs> Totally. And that legitimately could possibly happen today. It could possibly happen, right? We're not getting adequate sex education. Mm -hmm. And women are not, girls are not being educated properly about their bodies. So I've recently partnered with Girlology because I just love what they're doing to empower young girls to do the education about their body as they enter puberty. But then there's a sexual education piece, which I just think is phenomenal because... Oh, I need to check this out. Yeah, yeah, girl allergy is fabulous. Okay. Yeah, sure. You mentioned lubrication. Lubrication is so important. We are penetrating before the vagina is lubricated and the clitoris does not lubricate, the penis does not lubricate. As women are aroused, we get lubrication from different glands within the vagina and at the opening, right? So talk to us about your favorite lubes. Oh. Who should be using lube and what's your favorite lube? (laughs) Yeah, I have
1: some over in my cabinet right now. So I'm I'm one of the sex educators for the Velvet Box. And so I get to be able to see all of the lubes that they have coming in and see what their customers say and everything. But I also have some some favorites. So I always say, find a lubricant that works for you that you really like, that works with your toys and your body. But there are some that are just kind of universal favorites. I love Uber Lube. I love a, a silicone hybrid Wicked makes some really great flavored lubricants and so does Joe systems. If your body likes to handle flavored lubricants, okay. And the quality of ingredients are a lot better now than they used to be. But really something that you like, you know, if you like that silicone feel, the silicone molecule sits on top of the skin so it can't be absorbed. So it actually creates an, another cushiony layer, which I recommend to a lot of women who have mildly painful intercourse but then, you know, water-based lubricants feel a lot like your own vaginal lubrication. And so it just kind of depends, you know, on what's your favorite. Do you have favorites?
0: Right. I like to, I mean, I used to always say KY, but that was because of lack of knowledge. I think Uber Lube is phenomenal.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And KY was, you know, was recommended for so long because it was the only it was the only fda approved lubricant and that was only because they used it in surgery and that's the only uh, reason they could get it fda lubricant so they marketed it as such like right. the only fda lubricant when really lubricants used for personal sex reasons are are don't have to be fda approved so mm-hmm. that's my little thing my little spiel about ky
0: <laughs> okay all right so your top ones again were Uberlube and wicked okay
1: all right and joe joe systems i also like too.
0: okay So I was about to ask you about vibrators, and I'm already blushing, bringing it up. But before we do that, we've got to talk about the clitoris. Yes. I mean, the clitoris. Women do not know. (laughs) I love it. She's got her her clitoris model. And most women do not orgasm with penetrative sex. And if attention is not being paid to the clitoris, then you are very likely not having an orgasm. And if it doesn't feel good, you don't want to have sex. Yes,
1: exactly. All of those things, yeah. So let's just talk real quickly about how we define sex because that leads us down the road to where we got here, which is thinking that PIV or or penis and vagina sex is the definition of sex. So yeah, we have defined sex in a very reproductive manner for a very, very long time. And because the people who were in power that could write about sex probably owned penises. (laughs) So we were not able to talk in very diverse ways about, about sex. So From the beginning, kind of like of time, if you will, (laughs) Um, we have defined sex very narrowly and very, very specifically reproductive. When we know that 97% of the sex we're having, we do it because we want to have fun and experience pleasure, not because we want to create babies, right? Right.
0: That's a small window of our life.
1: It's a tiny window of our life and a tiny amount of sex, right? And so we need to shift the narrative to talk about sex in pleasure-focused ways. And if we did that, we would talk more about how vulva owners have most of and their first orgasms through clitoral stimulation. And so I'm always like, bring back the grind. Like grinding is such (laughs) an underrated sex move, when in reality, so many clitoris owners love the feeling of pressure up against their clitoris, um, even with your clothes on, even with your underwear on, right? Instead of just like that doorbell, like that doorbell ring, and just like pushing the clitoris like it's a Staples Easy Button is not going to do it for a lot of
0: women. <laughs> That's right, because the clitoris is so much larger and has the bulbs than than what people see. So they think it's just like this little nubbin, and it's not. <laughs> it's
1: not. It's so not. And the, and the clitoris and the penis are actually much more homologous than we ever. They're much more alike than they are different. Right. And so, yeah, if you think about the clitoris as going back, you know, not just the little part we see on the outside, but going back into the body and then it has legs that extend down into the vulva on each side of the vaginal opening, there's so much more there that can give us pleasure that we don't think about. And so, yes, A big thumbs up for outer course, a big thumbs up for stuff that's not penetrative, which we can also define as sex. So start to define sex as whatever brings you pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It, It is about pleasure. It is not about reproduction. And so if you are in a partnership with a penis owner, they might define sex as one way and you might define sex as another way. Great, you do them both.
0: <laughs> that's right. No problem. Have those conversations. Like for so long, yes. sex has been it starts with penetration and ends when the man orgasms, right? Well, we have to change that narrative because no wonder you don't want to have sex if that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. We're rounding back to that first conversation about arousal. Like if sex doesn't feel good, why in the world would you want to have sex? No wonder you have low sex drive or low arousal because sex doesn't feel good and it's supposed to. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I brought up vibrators. Okay, and I'm going to give you the floor. <laughs> okay.
1: Let's talk about vibrators. So if you live in the DFW area, the velvet box is my favorite place to buy vibes simply because they are incredibly educated. You're going to have a, like a low, very, no pressure, very welcoming environment. Everybody that I've ever sent to the velvet box says I had a great experience. So if you've never had a toy before, I want you to think about toys in just this one way. Toys are novel sensation. That is it, right? Novel sensation fuels arousal, even if it's like sex in a different place in your house, that's novel, or sex with the candles on instead of the overhead lights, that's novel. Sex in the shower, that's novel, right? So just think about it in terms of novel sensation. We as Americans especially totally love gadgets. And so like there's some gadgets in my kitchen that I would never ever get rid of because they make my cooking easier and they make it more pleasurable, right? Right. Sex toys are the same thing. They should make sex either easier or more pleasurable in some way because of novel sensation. So if you've never had a sex toy before and you own a clitoris, the first thing I like to recommend is just a clitoral vibrator. So it's going to be a very kind of smaller vibrator that looks like a bullet, like a bullet shape to it. And it's just, you know, you kind of use it on your external genitalia. So all around your vulva, start it on your thighs and then work towards your clitoris if you want. Use it with your underwear still on if you'd like. And just start slow. I always say sex is not an emergency. It's why I love my job, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can go slow. Yeah. So yeah, start with a clitoral vibe. And then you can kind of, if you like that, remember, we know that most clitoris owners Get their first and most of their orgasms through clitoral stimulation, so that might just be the trick for you. You mm-hmm. can use it in a partnered scenario. If your partner is behind you, you can use it on your clitoris. If your partner, if you're doing kind of like girl on top, and if you have a penis partner on bottom, you can use it on yourself. Your partner can use it on you. Like it's not exclusive to masturbation. Sex toys can be used used in any type of partnered play as well. So clitoral vibrators, then you can you have vaginal vibrators that are inserted. A dildo is a is a sex toy that does not vibrate. That's kind of the definition of a dildo. So it just provides fullness in your vagina. And then you have things like butt plugs and anal beads and nipple clamps and all the kind of the other things. But those are kind of the big categories of sex toys that you might be thinking of getting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've given us a good overview, piqued everybody's interest. Now tell our listeners how they can work with you and what services you provide.
1: Yes. So I provide one-on-one education for people or couples. And basically it's an, we get on zoom for an hour. We talk about what's going on. I am a very action oriented provider. And so at the end of our call, we agree on some homework for the couple or the person to work on. And it's sometimes touch homework. It's sometimes sex homework. A lot of times it's communication homework, or maybe even like a digital field trip into a a sex toy store or something like that. And then we meet about a month later and talk about what went well, what didn't go well, what they'd like to continue working on and things like that. So... Typically I see people for about 4 sessions, you know, 4 sessions or less. My job is to resource and educate people and then kind of send them on their way. And I also have quite a bit of time between sessions, about a month, because you got to have time to like have sex or do the touch exercises. So it's kind of a, like a chill, kind of low key type of service. So that's one-on-one education. I also do provide, like, I'll go to a ladies night. I'll do some education, really anywhere you'd like for me to go. I love going to speaking events. And so I provide public education as well as private education too.
0: And all your one-on-one coaching is done virtually, right? You went virtual (laughs) pre-COVID.
1: I did. Serendipitously, I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: everything is virtual. So like you can you do that from the... the privacy of your car, your office, your home. <laughs> totally. It's the beautiful thing about it and especially for this work because it is kind of vulnerable, right? To be talking right. about your sex life, right? So yeah, I have clients who are like, you know, with their wine in bed or in their car on their lunch break. So it's really helpful, I think in this particular field to have that opportunity to kind of meet when it, when you can be alone. You know, you yeah. can have that private
0: conversation. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Oh, so you can find me at drcelestholbrook.com. You can find me on social media at drcelestholbrook. And yeah, just reach out. You can do a discovery call. It's just 30 bucks. And so you can see if I'm a good fit for you. And if I'm not a good fit, I will refer you to somebody or something that is a good fit. So that's a really great way to enter into the process without like fully committing to sessions.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I love that. That's a great opportunity because if it isn't a good fit, you don't. want that client either right because you want them to get the results that they want awesome so tell me like one or two things that clients commonly say after working with you
1: oh after working with me Mm -hmm. I had an orgasm for the the first time I feel liberated I feel free I had sex without shame. I asked for what I wanted and got it oh (laughs) so big so big big one or I said no Ah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, friends. Well, you have heard it here. Um, Go follow Dr. Celeste Holbrook. This is phenomenal. This is such good information and women need a safe place to talk about sex. So follow her on social media and you'll learn all kinds of good things. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Moyers. I really appreciate it.